Hello and welcome to another episode of the Menswear Style Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Booker, and today on the show, I'm talking to Derek Webb, who is the founder and brainchild of Bolin Webb. Bolin Webb is a British brand bringing design excellence to shaving, award-winning razors made in England and fitted with Gillette blades. And here is Derek to talk about Bolin Webb in his own words. I'm... Um... As you say, the founder of Bowling Web, which has been uh, in business for 10 years now. In fact, last year we celebrated uh, a 10-year anniversary. And uh, that time's passed uh, very quickly. And a lot has happened in those 10 years since I first uh, launched the product uh, into the UK market to begin with. Uh, I've got a background in manufacturing, so uh, I'm not a product designer per se, but I know if you like, how to bring a product idea to market and uh, get it made. And that was really a key part of uh, my journey in the early days. I see. What, Having what said that, the idea was mine originally for these uh, design-led razors. Right. Sorry, I talked earlier. What, what kind of manufacturing were you in? I was in um, aluminium and metals uh, manufacturing, and I spent uh, the better part of 20 years in that area, working really all over the world. I was um, based principally in Europe, Switzerland, Belgium, Denmark, Norway, uh, a lot of traveling with my family at the time. Right. And were you. Which was a very interesting period because I got exposed to a lot of different types of uh, business cultures, a lot of markets. Um, also working in Asia, North America. And I think that stood me in good stead uh, when it came to launching my own business and opening markets abroad, that I could really um, come to terms with what it takes to do business in a different country, how to work with different cultures, not just in a business term, but also in understanding markets, understanding people communicating with them and i think that's really been important for bowling web in those years to uh, open new markets so we export about you know 80 percent of what we do now is going into different markets across the world oh interesting and were you mm. when you were in manufacturing were you always kind of looking for that great idea or were you always kind of on the hunt knowing you were going to go into business for yourself at some point were there other products in the hat or other other types of genres no there wasn't a master plan to be in somebody else's business in manufacturing for 20 years and then start my own i think it was just a transition towards the end of that period that i would like to do something different i would like to have my own business having said that you know in my manufacturing space i did have a fair amount of exposure to product design to introducing new ideas to market because I was working with mostly aluminium and that's a product, a metal that gets used in lots of different areas. And so uh, it was yeah, not too difficult to leap into, I've got an idea, let's see how we can design it. Let's see how we can make it. And really that background, as I said earlier, was, was a great strength to me at the time. So what's the first? So there was at the end of this period, you know, to the end of that time to think, well, I would like to run my own business. I would like a new journey. And so you sort of, you know, subconsciously are looking for, well, how can you do things differently? How can you be bringing innovation to market? And the idea of a 
razor handle dropped into into my uh, lap, if you like. Yeah, it, I, it's a story which is quite funny because we were um, <clears throat> on a holiday and a skiing holiday at the time, and when you rent somewhere, it's pretty devoid of personal effects. And I walked into a shower room, and all I saw was this really nasty-looking old razor of mine, and I thought, "Why am I punishing myself with this old tool?" I've got to think there's got to be something better out there, you know? And that made me to think of, well, what is in that market? Could it be different? And at that time, I did see an opportunity for bringing something which was more design-led, more appealing to the eye, aspirational. And really, there was nothing in the market like that at the time. Yeah. I mean, and if you, if you, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was, I was just going to say you mentioned innovation there, and I, I felt like that was one word that really leapt to mind when, I mean, I've, I've seen you raises before, but when I did a, a deeper dive on the website today, the actual kind of the designs, the magnet at the tip of the the razor, so it looks like it's, you know, defying gravity. I think it says on the site, and it does. It looks very, very unique, almost something where you have to look twice at it. So. How do you get those early steps in terms of the design element? Who do you look to to go and kind of flesh these ideas out for you? Okay. <clears throat> well, um, at the very beginning, the first time this idea came, it was just um, a very uh, <clears throat> personal process of saying, well, what would I like a razor handle to look like? And it's for first form, you know, what shapes, what colors, uh, what balance, how do they come across in terms of their appeal, their eye-catching appeal? And that was a very personal process. But to bring it forwards, you need to, I needed to anyway, engage with product designers. And they're the people who take these first early formed ideas and then translate it, try and capture your thinking into something that actually good, looks good and can be made. And that is where you need to sort of reach out beyond your own idea and take it to a professional technical designer and say, here, I would like to bring a design. Can we work together? And that working together is really important in designing, bringing innovation, that teamwork, that creativity. It's a bit, you know, wide ranging. It's a bit wacky. You know, you're looking at different ideas, looking at different approaches, um, coming up with crazy ideas sometimes, which which you know ultimately don't work, uh, but it's all part of that process you have with you know the people you work closely with on design. I'd love to see the ones that didn't work. <laughs> we had some crazy levitated ideas. I mean, <laughs> they were never going to work. We knew it, but it was fun to talk about it. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be um, the next article on your site. The, yeah. the nearly raises. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, how did you go about raising the capital then, Derek, to, to get something like this off the ground? Okay, so in the early years, let's say the first three to four years, um, it was all self-financed, you know? So it was a incremental uh, growth, um, which, you know, when you're an early uh, start is quite important. Uh, and cash flow management is always very important when you're running your own business, for sure. Uh, after a period of some years, we went into the uh, world of angel networks, you know, where you start uh, making your pitch to a group of 
um, investors who are all looking for uh, an opportunity to uh, make a good return on their investment. And I think uh, we were working with three different investor groups, angel groups, and probably did maybe two or three pitches to different uh, meetings. There may be 10 prospective investors in a, in a particular um, meeting and you have your 15-minute slot stuck in between some other product and another service or whatever it might be. And you, you um, uh, do your best and you try and pick up some interest, which we did. You know, we, we have a good investor with us who's been with us over the uh, subsequent years. And uh, that's been a great strength to the business as well. And are these, I'm imagining Dragon's Den, just the format of Dragon's Den without the interviews and the, the guy downstairs with the, the quirky clocks in the background. Is it, some, is it something like that? Yeah, we were actually approached uh, by Dragon's Den, but um, we were, we had already done our, our fundraising by then. And I'm glad I didn't have to go on to Dragon's Den and get, pulled to pieces quite frankly <laughs> quite as publicly yeah. as happens there uh generally speaking the angel investment community is very genial you know they're very nice people they ask good questions they're not out to get your skin or catch you out right they want to understand and they want to understand what your business model is but also where you see the end game and that's uh, uh, an important um, discussion to take with them. I find a lot of these being a lot of the pitches on Dragon's Den, people are looking to invest in the person as much as they are the product. Did you find yeah, that yeah. as well with some of the, uh, the pitches that you were making to the investors that they were also looking at you as if to say, can we really invest in Derek? I think that's uh, very, very important because uh, they've got a very short space of time to try and get to know you as a prospective uh, partner or a place where they're going to put their money. And uh, that's not a lot of time to um, take measure of somebody. Of course, it's not the only meeting you'll have with them. You know, mm. you make your first pitch. They like the idea. They like the product or service. Maybe they see you've already got a position in the market somewhere, which is a good recommendation. Um, if they do show interest, they're going to meet you again. You know, they're not, they don't put their money on the table and say, right, there you go. Here's whatever it is <laughs> you've asked for or not for whatever share. You know, they come back to you and they, then you enter what can be quite a protracted negotiation of, how much you're looking for, how much you're prepared to let go for that share, and you have to, yeah, get into a serious negotiation. A bit like speed dating, in a way. <laughs> We've well, only it was got a very speedy. Yeah. yeah, very one-way one speed dating. <laughs> I mean, you're just making a pitch to a lot of people you don't know, right? So, mm. I, I, Imagining that was in person back in the day, I, I guess these, will, these would be done. Oh, yes, yes. Days. No, there was nothing on uh, Zoom at that time. Maybe there is today. That yeah. would be really speedy. I yeah. would. Uh, it would be difficult, actually. Mm. 
Because you've got to meet your investor too. You don't want just their money. That's the mistake that many make. You know, you need to partner with somebody you can work with as a business owner. And what role will that investor play in your business? Now, we're very fortunate that we've got a single investor who is uh, interested and um, informed and challenging. You know, this is the one person who asks me the most difficult questions. And it frustrates me sometimes, but he's absolutely doing the right thing to do that. Yeah. It's almost like the check to your balance, pardon the pun. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, away from investments, uh, Derek, over the last 10 years, the brand's been going. Could you note any real fundamental changes that you've seen in men's grooming over that time that really stick out to you? Well, yes, there have been a lot of uh, profound changes to uh, men's grooming on the tool side, not even to talk about skincare, which is a very uh, <coughs> complicated world in its own. Within the world of tools, uh, when we started, the market was fairly straightforward. It was the disposable razor. It was the technical category of the blade with the Gillettes and Wilkinson swords. And then you jump to the, the more exclusive badger brush gentleman, ebony ivory shop. So there was nothing in that middle space we were looking at, which was contemporary design, affordable luxury with a sort of um, eye-catching and aspirational twist. So we've, in a way, plugged a gap there. Those were early days, but since that, of course, the big moves you've seen are the um, emergence of subscription services. And back in 2015 or thereabouts, there were a large number of new entrants which came in to that market on the back of Dollar Shave Club and Harry's in the US. And... Uh, particularly the Harry's story is remarkable where they launched the subscription service and then um, were, were bought out uh, and now are a much more mainstream brand, which you could buy in a supermarket. Mm. So that's, I don't know what the future of subscription will be as a, you know, mainstream shaving area um, or whether it's just an evolution. Uh, we'll see. But that that world is very much about capturing the blade market, competing with Gillette, for example. We would like to be su supplying blades to consumers, not the, the handle or the shaving set. So that's a very profound change. Another big change is the emergence of the safety razor as a much more popular um, tool. Um, for shavers, you know, in in Western markets, not really in Asian markets. And do you think that people are now using safety razors more? Um, let's just say in the last half year with what's going on with pandemics, etc. Maybe they want to go out a bit more now that the restrictions are easing. It. And do you think like people are now wanting to have the pleasure of shaving again for events and, and going out? <laughs> Um, yes, I would have thought so, but it's difficult for me to, to uh, <clears throat> measure that, I would say. I mean, clearly, the, you know, the beard, the emergence of the beard wasn't there to the degree when I started the business. Mm. So, again, that's been a, um, 
disruptive trend to shaving tools, if you like, and has had to force the major players to address the question of how do men with beards shave, okay? So even if you are um, uh, with a beard, you're likely to want to have a razor. You might not be shaving as often as if you're clean shaven like me, but, you know, you're going to have a a razor of some sort in your toolkit. I always find that a bit wacky, to be honest with you, Derek. I mean, I've seen a bunch of, say, influencer friends with full-on beards, and then they're kind of endorsing razors. I'm like, how are you guys even using this? Are you using it for like the, the tiniest bit on the cheekbone? I mean, is it, or is it just something that they're just saying yes to because it's another opportunity to, you know, do a partnership well, and get some money? Um, probably that too. But uh, you'd have to really ask a man with a beard why do they need <laughs> <Yeah>. a <laughs> razor. But uh, yes, certainly trimming a... a a line you know certain blades have trimming blades on them too but also you know they're parts of your face or your neck or indeed you know other parts of your body that you want to um to take a razor to so uh yeah i I mean very clear up here so there you go um well Derek, what what about the the state of play with Bolin Web now? So, like we say, ten years on, uh, I assume this is more of the nine to five or a way of life, as it were. I, I don't imagine your pencils down at five pm. But what what kind of position is the company in now? How many people are working for you? Well, we're a small company, very small company. So we're only four people in here. Oh wow! Yeah. So what we are doing is working with a network of different partners that may be product designers or graphic designers or web uh, internet people, PR distribution partners. So I've really built the business on the back of having good, strong relations with, with external partners, not by employing people, people uh, within the company itself. Well, it looks on the website, which is bolinweb.com, by the way, uh, it looks a, a lot bigger company than four people. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but it's a, <laughs> yes, it, it feels it's like a, a much kind of a more global brand where, where more people should be involved behind the scenes. Yeah, no, we're a small company. I think the coming back to your question about which um, direction we're going, I think the important thing is to um, bring newness to our product portfolio. So we have quite a lot of, new um, products in the pipeline, which uh, we're looking to introduce uh, later this year. And uh, collaborations as well? Uh, We've done some collaborations. We had a collaboration last year with a uh, Chinese artist called Mr. Slowboy. He does a a number of different um, brand collaborations, which are rather fun. His uh, artwork is... uh, uh, a sort of cartoon Tintin type uh, genre, which is uh, eye-catching too. He he was a collaboration we worked with because you know it's an appeal in China, which is one of our biggest markets. Right, I like that. There's a gentleman in a pinstripe suit holding a mobile phone with a briefcase on the handle, kind of like like a hand-drawn cartoon, like you're saying. Are you? Do you plan on doing any more of these? 
Uh, we might do a second version of this later in the year. Uh, the one you refer to, we call him the man from Mayfair. He was, um, <laughs> he was uh, only came to market last summer. So we don't want to repeat it too quickly for, for that uh, China audience. What about, uh, is it possible for people to do their own designs and then maybe have them on your razor? So something that they could even personalize themselves. Yeah, great idea. Personalization, if only with initials, would be great as well. But because these products are painted and lacquered, it's um, a very uh, complicated process to modify them beyond what's on offer. That product you talked about, uh, the um, cartoon character of the man in his pinstripe, is a very special technology, which is essentially tattooing that image into the razor handle. And right. we couldn't repeat that on an individual basis. I see. Well, maybe, uh, maybe an idea for the future of some kind. But I, I think it's, that's one of the big standouts. And there's many that you can find on the Bolin web website. Uh, different colors. And again, the, the Union Jack one there, that's on there. Uh, also, there, when I, when I was going to go onto the site, I was expecting to pay a lot more for these. They're all really accessibly priced. I yes, I think uh, we've always tried to bring a premium product, which was uh, affordable luxury, if you like, um, not out of reach. And I've always kept that um, uh, close to me. Uh, it's still a lot of money for a razor, of course. You know, it's not going to ever compete with a with a supermarket shop. But somebody who's looking to um find something different somebody who's got an eye for design likes to have dare i say it, beautiful products around them well designed products around them it is a a a tool which can sit in your bathroom and is eye catching is you know look looks great and many people find that that's important to them and i understand that completely that's what's driving me yeah. you know i like the uh, tools I use or the things I buy that that do make a difference that do stand out and and look good and are well designed well thought through and and last a good long time and especially for guys I mean I think living with my partner she's got the entire cabinet to herself and pretty much the entire drawer now I might have a little tiny part of that for that a bit of aftershave yeah. and you know <laughs> a, a bit of my own kind of creams and whatnot but having something in there that is like the standout that's yours compared to the rest of the junk that's going on the other side it's, uh, it's quite important for, for guys i think i should have said that before i agree with that and <laughs> i agree with that and i think your partner would probably agree that if you had a bowling weight web razor in your bathroom she would allow you to let that take pride of place and you've got to be careful that she doesn't start using it when you're not looking. <laughs> yeah, like she does with most of the aftershaves. Well, yeah. Derek, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. And what's next for you, Bobolin Web? Are we looking at any new releases, any anniversaries? Well, as I said, we're working on a number of new products which we want to bring to market. I think uh, there is a, uh, something of a release after COVID where we can uh, step up 
our product development game now. So we have been working through COVID with designers on uh, newness, um, on razors and accessories, which uh, uh, I'm very excited about. I look forward to these coming to market in, in the months to come without going into detail. Excellent. A nice teaser there. Well, we can, uh, we can find out more when it's coming out on bollingweb.com and we'll put all the links over on the show notes over at Menswear Style. But in the meantime, Derek, great fun talking to you. Thanks for taking the time out today. Thank you very much, Peter. You've been listening to the Menswear Style podcast. Be sure to head over to menswearstyle.co.uk for more menswear content and email info at menswearstyle.co.uk if you'd like to be a future guest on the show. Finally, please help support the show by leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time.